Why We Procrastinate. You're listening to Psychology in 10 Minutes. I'm David B. Feldman. I've been putting off making this episode. You heard me right. Nearly every day for the past week, I've looked at my to-do list and thought, I need to write another episode. Then, minutes later, I somehow end up watching YouTube videos or making blueberry pancakes. It turns out I'm not alone. Studies show that procrastination chronically affects between 15 and 20% of adults, and that nearly one in four people even consider it to be one of their defining personality traits. These numbers are still higher for young adults, with approximately 80% saying they engage in procrastination at least to some degree. Let's face it, all of us procrastinate. Though occasional procrastination usually isn't a problem, for some people, postponing what needs to be done can turn into a persistent pattern that disrupts daily life. They may voluntarily delay intended actions in spite of consistently negative consequences. And negative consequences abound. Procrastination has been linked to elevated anxiety, feelings of guilt or shame, low self-esteem, and low mood. Perhaps not surprisingly, it can also lead to increased stress, as people feel the pressure of getting something done in ever shorter amounts of time. Procrastination also seems to be at the core of a number of societal problems, whether we're talking about the growing environmental crisis, the fact that 80% of Americans put off saving for retirement even if they have the means to do so, or any number of other instances where people quote-unquote kick the can down the road. All this makes it sound like procrastination causes negative outcomes. And while that's certainly true to some degree, there's likely a vicious cycle at work. The negative effects of putting off a task can loop back and lead to even more procrastination. In other words, the further along the procrastination road we walk, the worse the stress gets, and the more likely we are to continue procrastinating. You may have heard that there are different kinds of procrastinators. Three classic types predominate in the psychology research literature. Arousal, avoidance, and decisional procrastination. Arousal procrastinators wait until the last minute to complete a task because they enjoy the adrenaline rush of working under pressure. Avoidance procrastinators put off tasks because they feel anxious or fear failure. And decisional procrastinators delay making choices due to fear of making the wrong ones. Advocates of these three styles argue that by knowing our type, we can make focused efforts to change. But not all researchers think procrastination neatly divides in this way. In part, that's because people who practice one kind of procrastination often also practice one or more of the others. Moreover, talking about procrastination as falling into types makes it sound like it's part of our personality. Someone might say, Well, I can't help it. I'm an arousal procrastinator, so I work better under pressure. But it turns out that procrastination doesn't have much to do with personality at all. In fact, correlations between procrastination and most personality traits are pretty weak. It's probably more accurate to think of procrastination as a behavioral problem that shows up differently for different people at different times, 
but may share a similar set of underlying mechanisms. That's the stance of psychologist Piers Steele. Steele asserts that people are motivated to either engage in or avoid a task based on four factors. Intriguingly, these can literally be plugged into a mathematical equation that helps predict when someone will or won't procrastinate. Motivation equals expectancy times value over impulsiveness times delay. Put in slightly less technical terms, how motivated we are to do a task comes from how much we value that task, how much we expect that we will succeed at that task, how quickly we think a reward will come from doing that task, and how comfortable we are at delaying gratification. If we don't value an activity or think we're no good at it, we'll procrastinate. But even when we do value the activity and believe in our abilities, we still may get stuck procrastinating if we don't think the outcome will be very rewarding, or if there's something else in our environment that we might find more immediately rewarding, like making pancakes. Getting ourselves unstuck means balancing this equation, addressing whichever of these four factors is sidetracking us. Starting with the numerator of Steele's equation, if we don't believe or expect that we can succeed at a task, we may end up feeling overwhelmed by it. Under these circumstances, it can help to break the task into smaller, more manageable parts. An intuitive way of doing this is what psychologist William Naws calls the five-minute plan. It's simple. Try engaging in whatever activity you've been putting off for five minutes. Then check in with yourself and see if you feel a little less overwhelmed. If you do, try another five minutes. Moving to the second part of the numerator, if the problem is that we don't value the task, then we need to find a way of linking it to something we do value. I might not find it intrinsically rewarding to comb through research articles for hours, but if I can remind myself that doing this will lead to writing a podcast episode that could help people stop procrastinating or find more satisfaction in their lives, then I've just raised the value of doing those hours of research. Moving to the denominator of the equation, what if the activity we're supposed to be doing isn't immediately rewarding, and we're tempted by things that are more rewarding but perhaps less productive? In our modern world, this often means we end up scrolling through Facebook posts, watching YouTube videos, or even, heaven forbid, listening to podcasts. Other people may be tempted to turn on the TV or play endless video games. If this sounds like you, a surprisingly simple yet effective strategy is to engage in what psychologists call stimulus control. In other words, get rid of all of those other competing stimuli. Delete those Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from your phone. I don't believe I'm suggesting this. Turn off notifications and temporarily unplug the PlayStation and put it in the closet. You can also remove yourself from whatever environment tempts you to procrastinate. For instance, when I need to write, I often take my laptop to a local park where I know there's no Wi-Fi and the cell phone reception sucks. Finally, we can sometimes use more appetizing activities as rewards for doing less appetizing ones. In other words, if I sit down and write for at least an hour, then I get to take that PlayStation back out of the closet. The main point here is that procrastination isn't destiny. It's something we can change. 
though I began by saying that one in four people consider procrastination to be one of their defining personality traits, it's actually not a personality trait at all. It's a set of bad habits, motivated by a desire to avoid stress and do something more immediately rewarding. But let's face it, not everything worth doing in life is immediately fun or pleasurable. Although doing the hard work of researching for an episode of this show might not be quite as enjoyable in the short term as eating blueberry pancakes, in the long run, making this podcast has been one of the most meaningful projects of my recent life. Okay, episode's done. Now I'm going to go eat those pancakes. And that was Psychology in 10 Minutes. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.